Well, let's turn our attention now to the word of the Lord. We'll pray and then we will look at Acts chapter 8. So bow with me and let's pray together. Father in heaven, even now, as we come to this point in our worship service, we have worshiped you through the songs that we have sung, the prayers that we have prayed, the offerings that we have given. And now, Lord, we come to the point where we turn all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our focus on your perfect word. Lord, this is not about what some foolish preacher has to say. This is about your word. So, Lord, help us to read it, to hear it, to interpret it correctly. May your word pierce our hearts that we might be convicted, that we might be changed, that we might be encouraged, that we might be comforted, Lord. Spirit, would you please come and move through the reading, the teaching, and proclamation of your holy word. We ask all this in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bible with you today, and I hope that you do, turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 8. The book of Acts chapter 8 will be beginning in verse 26. If you don't have your own copy of God's Word, that's perfectly fine. Feel free to use a digital copy if you have that, or you can borrow one of the Bibles that you'll see in the back of the pew there in front of you. If you don't own a copy of God's Word, please take that as our gift to you. We will put a new one in the back of the pew, and it will be our honor to be able to give you the gift of God's Word. However you might be accessing the Word of the Lord, I would ask, if you're physically able, would you please stand out of reverence for the public reading of this word this morning. I'll be reading Acts chapter 8 beginning in verse 26, reading to the end of the chapter which is verse 40. When I complete the reading, I will say this is the word of the Lord. If you are indeed grateful for the word of the Lord, I encourage you to respond with a hearty thanks be to God. Let's look together now at Acts chapter 8 beginning in verse 26. The word of the Lord says, "Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop 
And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We are continuing this morning in our sermon series looking at one-on-one encounters that Jesus has with people in the Scriptures. We started with Paul. We looked at numerous times where Paul shared the gospel one-on-one. Numerous times where Jesus himself made special trips to share the gospel one-on-one with somebody. That's why our focus has been this strategy of evangelism known as who's your one. Jesus shared the gospel one at a time. And some of you may be thinking, you know, in the, God, in the book of Acts, the author is Luke. It's a continuation of what the Holy Spirit now does. And in the beginning of Acts, many of you might be thinking, there are numerous accounts of people thousands at a time being saved and turning to the Lord. That is true. And that was happening. And they baptized them one at a time, thousands at a time. And the church grew in number every single day. But then around Acts chapter 5, the author, Luke, begins to shift The perspective, instead of looking at the thousands that come, he begins looking at one-on-one encounters. That's why we saw Paul with King Agrippa and Paul with Felix and Paul with Festus. And the same thing is true here with Philip. We stop looking at these huge encounters of the Holy Spirit moving and thousands being saved. And we start to look at one-on-one encounters. And I, I would encourage you to think through how valid it is that this encounter between Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch truly is Jesus showing up in a one-on-one setting here on the Gaza road. Now, Philip is somebody who is not unfamiliar to us as we read through the book of Acts. Just to give us some context of who we're dealing with and what's going on here, let's look back at Acts chapter 6, verses 3 through 6. There's a problem going on in the early church and there is a division as they are giving out daily distributions to those in need. Some of the Hellenists, they say our widows are being overlooked. And so the apostles say, we got to do something about this. And we've heard this, these verses from this pulpit numerous times, almost every time we have to elect and ordain new deacons. But Acts chapter six, beginning in verse three, the word of the Lord says, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. As they move down, you find they begin to list out who these men are. And the Holy Spirit set apart Stephen and Philip and a list of other men. We find that Philip is one of the very first deacons. He is one of the men who is described as being filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with wisdom. Would that not be a wonderful epitaph to just be on your gravestone? If, if I could be buried one day and my tombstone have an honest statement of, here lies Nathan Daniels, a man full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. What 
honorable things to strive towards. This is Philip who brings peace along with the other six men to a very chaotic and divided situation. There were racial divisions in the church between the Jews and the Hellenists. And Philip was one of the men who came along to make sure to settle this dispute and to bring peace to the church. Well, the next time that we run into Philip is Acts chapter 8. So Philip, after the stoning of Stephen, after Stephen is martyred, everybody begins to scatter out of the church at Jerusalem. And I don't know about you guys, but if somebody from our church, a prominent deacon at our church, was taken outside and stoned to death very near to the walls of this church, I feel like there might be a bit of a scattering of some of the membership of the church. That's probably a a normal thing to take place. But God uses what happens to Stephen to send these deacons and these church members out with the gospel. They leave Jerusalem fearing for their lives, but they don't just go hide in a corner somewhere. They go and they share the gospel. In Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 5, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him and saw the signs that he did for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Philip is willing to go to Samaria. Now, what we often point to is that in Acts chapter one, we're given an outline for how the gospel is going to progress through the rest of the book of Acts. So some of you may be familiar with Acts 1-8. If you look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is kind of your thesis statement for the rest of the book of Acts. You'll see that the Holy Spirit moves and thousands of people get saved in Jerusalem. And then the gospel spreads out into the whole region of Judea as you move into the next few chapters. But when Philip goes to Samaria, we're still fulfilling this prophecy in Acts chapter 1. As Jesus is ascending, he's telling the disciples, telling those who follow him, here's how the gospel will progress. And I guarantee that when they were there listening to Jesus... I bet they were so excited to hear the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. Man, we are going to get power from on high. If God spoke to you in a voice and said, Claude, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and thousands of people will be saved. Would you not be stoked? Would you not be excited that the Lord called your name and the Spirit is coming upon you? And where are they going to be saved? In Jerusalem, my hometown. This is right where I live. This is good news. My city is going to experience revival. And then Judea, all of Covington County is going to experience revival. This is amazing. And Samaria. You know, Jesus went to Samaria that time, but do we really have to include them? I mean, it's Samaritans. You, you know they're Samaritans, right? And I just imagine as, as Jesus is proclaiming these things of where the gospel will go, I, I know that in John chapter 4, Jesus made a special visit to a Samaritan town, a Samaritan village called Sychar. We, we studied that. 
But the disciples still had a deep-seated hatred for any and all Samaritans. And unlike something that happened yesterday in my house, they had a lot of history and a lot of reason for why they hated Samaritans. Yesterday, the teams on football in the Southeastern Conference, Georgia, began to play Tennessee. And my boys said, hey, who are we going for, Dad? And I said, well, we don't ever cheer for Tennessee, sons. We all hate Tennessee. Alabama and Auburn fans can agree together that there's one team that we all hate, and it's Tennessee. And then my boys looked at me and said, well, why is that, Dad? And I looked back at them. I said, sons, it's Tennessee. What else do I need to explain? And they had no idea. They, they don't, and I know that the rivalry is not as bad, but if you remember several years back, Tennessee was the most hated team by both Alabama and Auburn. They always disrupted all of Alabama and Auburn's hopes of winning the SEC championship or winning a national championship. That rivalry is kind of deadened down because Tennessee hadn't been so great these last few years. <laughs> Just, you know, letting, letting y'all know they hadn't been that great. But still within me, I remember being at games. I remember being with my friends on campus when the whole University of Alabama declared a Tennessee hate week. And all week long, they would do different things to express their hatred for the University of Tennessee. But does anybody have a real good reason why there was hatred? No, not not really. I mean, we joke about it. I mean, some people take it way too serious. Some people are even so serious about rivalries between Alabama and Auburn that they're willing to go poison trees. I mean, it's just crazy the things that we will do over a silly game of football. But in this time, in the first century, Samaritans were still hated because in the year 722, the Assyrians come down and they destroy the northern nation of Israel. So remember that there's a civil war that takes place. The 12 tribes of Israel, the one nation, divides. And there's 10 tribes to the north in a nation known as Israel, two tribes to the south in a nation known as Judah. Do you know why we call people who are of Israeli heritage Jews? That comes from Judah, the nation to the south. That's the nation that persevered and survived. But see, when Assyria came in and wiped out the northern nation of Israel, the Israelites were so stubborn and obstinate and difficult to govern that they sent men, single men, to Israel on purpose just to intermarry with Israelite women so that there might be a mix of cultures, so that they might begin to worship pagan gods. And so this half-breed of partly Israelite and partly Assyrian began to grow and propagate. And so you were left with the Samaritans. The Samaritans were so angry and so hated by the Jews that when the Jews came back from Babylonian exile and the Samaritans offered to help them rebuild the walls and rebuild the temple, the Jews said, nah, y'all intermarried, y'all gave up, no way, no how, Take your bricks and your mortar and go somewhere else. And so the Samaritans did. They went and built their own temple on a different mountain. They came up with their own Pentateuch, first five books of the Bible. They came up with their own system of worship. And they said that Moses really established a whole system of worship on Mount Gerizim, not on Mount Moriah. So they are completely opposed to one another because for thousands of generations they have fought back and forth and there has been hatred so when jesus says you're going to be my witnesses in jerusalem excitement judea excitement and samaria eh, not so much to the ends of the earth well okay but as long as there's not more samaritans and what happens to philip he goes 
to Samaria. And he shares the gospel and the gospel explodes. They see that Philip is the real deal. One of the most incredible things about this passage is that what Philip tells them matches how Philip lives. Have you ever had an opportunity to share the gospel? But you know how you've been living. And you know somebody's been seeing how you've been living. And you've shied away from sharing the gospel with that person that you feel compelled to share with. Because you know they'll call you out as a hypocrite. Do you know why Philip's gospel ministry was so effective? It was because what he said and what he did matched. If we want to reach people, even one at a time, what we say and what we do has to line up. If we're going to proclaim that we follow Jesus, we've got to live like we follow Jesus. That's what Philip did. That's part of the reason that he had success in the region of Samaria. And people are coming to know Jesus in droves. He has a successful ministry and he could be set for life. But does the Holy Spirit leave him there? Nope. Not at all. Acts chapter 8 verse 25. One verse before our beginning passage this morning. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. They come and visit Peter and John. Now as they're leaving, they minister to all the other Samaritans because that's what Philip has been doing. Philip set the example for the apostles. He's got a thriving ministry, so much so that other gospel-centered apostles, disciples, and deacons are coming into the towns of the Samaritans and preaching the gospel so that it might go forward. But does Philip get to stay? Nope. In, in verse 26, what do we see? An angel of the Lord said to Philip, Hey man, get up and go south to the road that goes toward Gaza, down from Jerusalem. And if you're thinking, oh man, he's sending him somewhere where there is a huge metropolis. There is some great city with tons of people. No, no, the, the Bible wants to make sure that we understand in verse 26, this is a desert place. There's not a lot of people. And Philip doesn't question any of it. He's in a very densely populated area. He's having great success. People are trusting in Jesus. And he says, I want you to go to a desert place. Gaza was the road to nowhere. Ethiopia was considered the ends of the earth. Ethiopia was the end of the line. And Gaza, the road from Gaza down to Ethiopia, was a long, treacherous stretch through the desert where there was nothing. But Philip does not question. He says in verse 27, he rose and went. And then it says, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Folks, this is a wealthy, well-to-do individual. Everything that those two verses tell us about this man are there to help us understand just how rich and just how powerful this man really was. He, he rises, he goes, there's an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace. He's in charge of all of her treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. He fears God and is seeking to serve and worship God. Not only that, he's in charge of all of her money, and he is well endowed as far as money goes. 
He has all that he needs wealth-wise. This man is rolling in dough. How do I know? He's got his own copy of the scroll of Isaiah. Folks, that is like having a Ferrari today. This man is rolling in it. It was so hard to come by parchment. It was so hard to find a scribe who would write for you. To own your own personal copy of Isaiah was the ultimate status symbol of wealth and prosperity. I'm talking this man is rich. He has an entourage going with him. He's able to take five months off from work of working with Candace to go to the temple in Jerusalem to attempt to worship God. This man has got money to spare and time to spare and plenty of sick days and vacations stored up. But he's an Ethiopian and he's a eunuch. To say that he's a eunuch and to say that he's an Ethiopian means that when he got to Jerusalem, he was turned away. He was turned away because he was a foreigner, and he was turned away because he was a eunuch. If you look in the book of Deuteronomy, it says that any man who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting is not welcome in the temple of the Lord. And so he travels for five months, using up all his vacation, using up all his sick time, his own paid leave. He goes, and when he gets to the temple, it's guaranteed he's turned away because he's dark-skinned, so he's a foreigner. Deuteronomy also tells us that the foreigners can't come into the inner courts of the temple. And it tells us that eunuchs cannot come to the inner court of the temple. Folks, to say that this man is frustrated and disappointed on his drive home is absolutely the understatement of the century. This is worse than driving home after your team loses. Any Auburn fans on their way back from the game yesterday, I'm so sorry. It must have not been very fun. When you played a week or so ago in the Strawn Tigers, unfortunately lost that's a horrible ride home that's a horrible leaving the stadium and you've got to drive home everybody's quiet if you are away and you lose the away game and you have to ride on the bus it's awful imagine that times i don't know 50 this guy all he wants to do with his life is to worship god he wants to understand he wants to know god he spent the time, not just as he's somebody who can read, he spent the time to learn Hebrew. He's reading the scroll of Isaiah. Like nine in ten people can't read at this time. This man's reading in another language. To say that he put time and energy and effort to know who God is, is a huge understatement. He's reading the scroll of Isaiah. And as he's reading he looks over out of his chariot, and there's this probably short Jewish man over there just jogging along. Hey, but what's up? What you reading? I'm just uh, reading the, the scroll of Isaiah. Man, that's pretty cool. You know, I don't know that I've ever held a scroll of Isaiah. By the way, do you understand what you're reading? I mean, he's still running right on pace with the chariot. I have no idea how he's keeping up with the chariot. But they're just having this casual conversation, running along by the chariot. He says, man, I, there ain't no way I can know what's going on. Nobody's here to explain it. I just happen to know a lot about Jesus. I just happen to know a lot about that scripture. And if you just stop that play right now, I'll be happy to get in that chariot. So he invites him up in the chariot. How much sense does it make for Philip to leave a thriving ministry where people are coming to know Jesus every day to go to the middle of nowhere? And then he says, hey, go run up by that chariot. Just go run beside it. And then what, is, what does he do? Asks simple, easy questions. Hey, man, what you reading? Does it make sense to you? I'd love to help you out. Well, he gets invited into the chariot. There's this guy that makes videos, and I think they're popular on TikTok. 
There's some on, on YouTube. His name's Daniel Mack. And he goes around and he finds these super rich people and he asks them what they do for a living. So like they're driving Ferraris and Lamborghinis and he just walks up to the window and he goes, Oh, dude, I love your car. What do you do for a living? And then there's videos where he goes up to yachts and he says, oh, man, I love your boat. What do you do for a living? Almost inevitably, they will give him a ride or they'll invite him onto the boat. The same kind of thing happens here. Philip just comes up beside the chariot to this really wealthy, really important official. It's somebody he never should have been able to talk to. But he goes up to him and he says, hey, man, what are you reading? And it will surprise us how often a simple, innocent question can open a road to a conversation and people will invite you and welcome you in. You don't have to walk up to somebody and say, did you know that if you don't believe right now in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're dying and going to hell? Boy, that's a conversation starter. How about it? You can walk up to somebody and say, hey, I noticed you're wearing an Auburn shirt. Man, I sure hate that y'all lost the game. How do you feel about the rest of the season? What, what do you think about the Alabama-Auburn game? The next thing you know, you you got a whole full-fledged conversation with them. You can walk up to somebody with Strawn Tigers. Hey, I went to Strawn. You can walk up to somebody who's got the Andalusia A. You know, I mean, the Arizona A. I mean, the Andalusia A. And they, you can say, hey, I see you, you represent Andalusia. Did, did you go to school there? You got kids that go there? How, how hard is that conversation? But how often do we refuse to go up to somebody? Because it draws us out of our comfort zone. An angel showed up and told Philip to leave Probably a lucrative, lifelong career of ministering in Samaria. He left. Why did he leave? For one person. For one man who was ashamed. For one man who was humiliated. For one man whose skin was the wrong color. Whose nationality was the wrong nationality. Whose life experience and the experience of him being castrated and every man adjusts in the room. I understand that experience made him feel less than human. And he's seeking out God, hoping that there can be something in this Jewish God who will redeem me or do something. He gets to the temple and he's turned away. But it's so funny when we go seeking for God, God sends somebody our way, does he not? Every single time. Every missionary I know can recount story after story of men and women who wanted to know God and then somebody showed up to share the gospel with them. But when we're not Philip, when we don't listen to the motivation of the Holy Spirit and go and share and are willing to have an awkward conversation, there's somebody that may be seeking God, that may be praying that you would show up and talk to them. And when we don't go and we don't talk, they're missing out on meeting God. And we're missing out on the blessing of introducing them to the Father. And let's be honest, I guarantee you that the last place anybody wanted to go and share the gospel was Samaria. I guarantee it. I promise you that some of the disciples deep in their heart probably felt like, I don't even want the Samaritans to know the gospel because they deserve to rot in hell. They probably felt that. I want to ask you this morning, who's that in your life? Who is it in your life that has wronged you, that has hurt you, that's the them to your us? That if you're really honest with yourself, you know, I say it out loud, if you think real hard about it, you couldn't care less if they trust in the gospel. Maybe there's somebody who's abused you or wronged you in horrendous and horrific ways. 
And you think, you know what? It'll be all too sweet to stand in heaven and look across the chasm and see them getting the just suffering that they deserve. If we're honest with ourselves, how many of us have had those thoughts? Those are probably the kind of thoughts that they had about Samaritans. Those are probably the kind of thoughts that they had about eunuchs. Those are probably the kind of thoughts they had about Ethiopians. But let me break it down a little bit for you. We have a term these days called African-Americans. Ethiopians were not African-Americans. Ethiopians were African. Ethiopians were black, dark, chocolate-skinned people. They probably could not have cared less if those people were saved. Do you know that the church for hundreds of years blew up exponential growth in Ethiopia? In places when Jerusalem was overrun, just like we saw with the man on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, Ethiopia was a place where some of the earliest bishops held strong and stood in the gap and continued the faithful ministry. And we can talk about the gospel today because of how strong the church was in Ethiopia. And you know why there was a strong church in Ethiopia? Because Philip went to one Ethiopian eunuch. Because he wasn't afraid to talk to a black man. Because he wasn't afraid to talk to a eunuch. Because he wasn't afraid to talk to a Samaritan. There are no outcasts when it comes to the gospel. It is for everyone, for all time. And sometimes I think you and I can be just as guilty as what they were of saying anybody but this group. Anyone but these people. You don't really want me to share with them, do you? Yes. The Greek phrase is pantata ethne, every single ethnicity, every people group. And sometimes we deem in and of ourselves that people of a different skin color are not worthy of the gospel. Or, or maybe I'll share with them, but, but I don't want to actually like show them gospel love. Like I don't want to invite them to be part of my life. I don't want to live out the gospel next to them. I mean, they're they're from a totally different culture and background. Their traditions and their society make me a little uncomfortable. I don't know that I want them coming to church with me. Philip left his church just so that one might be included. And that one was a black man. Where was that Ethiopian going to go to church? How did Philip know if that man was going to stop his chariot and turn around and come back with him to Samaria or continue on to Ethiopia? Philip didn't have a clue what was about to happen. That's evidenced by the end of the passage. He baptizes the man, and when he comes up out of the water, poof, Philip's gone. Holy Spirit just snatches him up. And next thing he knows, he's in some place called Azotus. And he's like, well, I guess I'll just share the gospel here. The Lord must want me here. This is where he dropped me down. Philip had no idea what would happen after sharing the gospel with this outcast man. He just trusted the Lord would take care of it. And that Ethiopian goes back home. And because of his wealth, because of his influence, everyone in Samaria begins to hear the gospel. Folks, this is 11 weeks of seeing over and over and over again the impact one person can make the impact that one life can cause in all the world. I just want to say two things, and then we're done. First off, go to your one. Let us be like Philip. The last time we catch up with Philip, 
It's in Acts chapter 21, and he's called then Philip the Evangelist. Because everywhere he goes, everybody he comes in contact with, he is sharing the gospel. May our lives be characterized the same way as Philip's. That everywhere we go and everyone we come in contact with, we share the gospel. Because there's nobody that's rejected from God's grace, from God's mercy. There's nobody who's too much of an outcast, who's too deformed for God's grace. So go share the gospel. Secondly, if if you're here this morning and your story's a lot like that eunuch story, you, you don't fit in. You feel like every time you've come to church, you've been turned away for one reason or another. You feel like everybody looks at you a little bit different. I want you to know the gospel's for you just as much as the gospel's for me. There are no outsiders. It's a group of imperfect people. But Jesus died for each and every one of us. He loved you enough to die for you. If it had only been you, he still would have died. Don't let being turned away a time or two by folks who are misunderstanding the gospel keep you from Jesus. Folks, if you're here this morning and you've never trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, I urge you to believe that these words that we've read this morning are true. The account that we read in this book is 100% true, even when everything else in life is not. That there is a God that we rebelled against. And in His mercy, instead of killing us, He decided to redeem us. And so He sent His one and only Son to live the perfect life we never could, that whosoever believes in him will be saved. Jesus came and lived the life we couldn't live. He died the death we should have died, and God raised him from the dead. And if any one of us would put our trust and our hope in him, we will be saved. The gospel is for everyone. The gospel is for you. I just have to believe that as the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip drove down the road, I think they kept going and kept talking about the Lord. Turn with me to Isaiah 56. That passage that the guy reads, the Ethiopian eunuch, is Isaiah 53. Y'all, this is a trip that took five months. We have no idea how long Philip was in this chariot with this man. I just have to believe after they talked about Isaiah 53... And got tired of staring at the sand. Maybe then they talked about Isaiah 54. And then they stared at the sand a little while longer. And then maybe they talked about Isaiah 55. And then moved right along to Isaiah 56. Because they sure weren't playing their Nintendo Switch or watching a movie on their iPad. Because that wasn't working with the chariot system, okay? And so they just keep talking about Jesus. And can you imagine as Philip explains the gospel to this Ethiopian man, he gets to Isaiah chapter 56 and reads verses 3 to 5. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be 
cut off. Don't miss the irony in verse 5. For a man who in every way feels cut off. Philip says the gospel's for you. And the Lord Jesus will never cut you off. This morning, if your story is a lot like this Ethiopian eunuch, I want to encourage you that the gospel is for you. And that our Lord will never cut you off or cast you out. If you will believe in him and follow him with all your heart, with all your life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word and the truth found in it. Father, we ask that we might be as obedient and as faithful as Philip. God, I I don't pray that piously as somebody who thinks that they are as faithful and obedient as Philip. I, I pray that prayer knowing that I'm not. Lord Jesus, would you please motivate us to share your good news with all who might listen. Lord, may we be seen as people who are filled with your spirit, who are filled with wisdom, who are known as evangelists, who are willing to strike up a conversation with a stranger, even someone very different than ourselves, for the sake of your gospel and your kingdom. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who has not trusted in you, I pray that you would move on their heart, that you would draw them unto salvation, that they would believe in you and be saved today. Father, as we move into this time of response, I ask that your spirit might move among us and that we might respond in obedience. We ask all this in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen.